It's the first major milestone in your aviation career. You've been building up to it for the last few flights. You arrive at the airport and the weather is perfect. It's your first solo day. The anticipation is mounting, but what if you're not ready or just have a bad flight? What can you expect? What happens on the day? Well, I answer all these questions and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 29 of Flight Training Australia, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. So today's episode, we're going to have a look at the initial part of a pilot's flight training and the first major milestone, the first solo. Now some of you listening uh, have already achieved this, uh, either recently or many years ago. The uh, rest of you, it's an exciting experience coming up for you. Either way, it is a moment you will remember for the rest of your life. Driving a car for the first time, it's pretty cool, but it pales in insignificance compared to flying an aeroplane all by yourself for the very first time, no matter what age you are. When you're there and the instructor gets out and sends you on your way, it's an incredible feeling and a great sense of achievement. So what's involved and what happens before and what happens on the day and thereafter in the remainder of the training? Well, firstly, if you haven't already, you need to go and have a look at the Learn to Fly episode and that will be episode Four. And in that, I will go through all sorts of things like your ARN and medical, etc. So if you haven't listened to that already, go check that one out, episode four. Assume you've got that. The only other requirement we really need to make sure of is that you are more than 15 years old. So you can go solo on your 15th birthday. You can start flying beforehand, but 15 is the age you need to be before you go first solo. The other things we need to look at is your ability to speak English, called the GELP, possibly the most confusing term in the CASA dictionary and what some people would consider completely absurd and ridiculous. All right, so just to clarify what this is about, whether you have been born and bred in Australia and spoken English your entire life or not is not the case of point. What they're looking for is two types of English. Now, the GELP is now split into three levels. There's the Aviation English Language Proficiency, Level 6. There's the General English Language Notice, and there's the General English Language Assessment. All we need to do here is a General English Language Notice, and for that, we need to submit some paperwork. And sometimes, depending on how old you are, people find this a little bit challenging. So you've got one of a few options. If you completed secondary school in Australia or New Zealand or an equivalent English-speaking country, you can submit your Year 12 secondary graduation certificate or if you are still in school, your last uh, term or semester school report for English. So you just need to present that. Otherwise, evidence of working in Australia three of the last five years. So if you have... Uh, worked for a company, you can submit three of your last uh, tax returns 
your group certificates, anything like that that just shows that you're working there. You can get a letter from the employer on company letterhead stating how long you've worked there for. Um, if you've worked for a few different companies in the last few years, we'll try and get some evidence of one or the other. If you're self-employed, you can get a letter from your accountant and they can sort that out for you. Alternatively, you can just conduct an English language assessment. Now, for going solo, the standard is simply general conversational English. You listening to me right now and understanding everything I'm saying passes the test. It's just a quick sit down with a approved assessor and have a conversation, usually read a passage of uh, out of a magazine or a book or something like that and just discuss the topic and that's it, really all done and dusted. Very simple, very easy to do. There's nothing to do with aviation English. Aviation English is level six, expert speaker, and that happens before your first flight test, being your RPL, PPL or CPL, depending on how you go about your training. All right. So after you've done that, it's a matter of doing a solo exam, usually just a short theory assessment set by the school, pretty straightforward based on all the training you've done this thus far. So you shouldn't have to really study too hard for it. It should be based on your daily lessons, operations at your local aerodrome, wherever you're flying, and your instructor will take you through all that. If you have a look at the Aviation Theory Centre textbooks, there is all the theory that you would need in that as well. Uh, the Bob Tape books tend to be more exam-focused, but the Aviation Theory Centre Blue Book is a flight training book that sort of takes you through lesson to lesson, and that has all the info and knowledge that you need in there. After you've done that, we're really looking for the standard and being ready to go solo. So. An assessor being a grade two or a grade one instructor is looking for one thing, and that's pretty much consistency. All right, we're looking for you to be consistent with your landings. We're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for safe, consistent circuits, as you've been taught. Now, I'm not going to get into how to land an airplane and how to fly an approach and all that here. Um, that's for another day and another topic. But we're looking for consistency. So I had the fortune of sending someone solo just the other day. And the things I was looking for is me not having to reach for the controls, feel like I need to reach for the controls. Uh, just being quite at peace with the way the student was flying the aircraft and handling. Their approach was nice, conservative, consistent. Speeds were bang on within the limits. And they also were willing to go around if we got in a situation where things were getting a little bit fast, a bit high, or sudden wind gusts, whatever else, where things were getting out of control. All right, so your instructor wants to see that you're willing to make that decision. If you're sitting there expecting them to tell you to go around because it's not going well, you're not ready. The decision to go around is just as important as making a nice touchdown and landing. So remember when you're setting yourself up, fly a nice square standard circuit, set up your speeds, standard power settings, put the flap out where you normally do, keep your speeds within five knots of your target speed. Don't have a big speed range, just have a target speed that you're going for and make sure you set it. Follow the aircraft down, 
and Bob's your uncle. Don't need to be absolutely perfect landings like I said earlier, just controlled, not landing on the nose wheel and not landing hard. So once the instructor's seen that you're handling the aircraft well, they're going to uh, stop you in a number of ways. So they might just get you to say, okay, let's just come to a stop. It's going to depend on whether you're in a controlled environment or a non-controlled environment. So if you're in a controlled environment, they're going to have to let the tower know uh, that you're going to be for a full stop landing or sometimes they might say that you're downwind for the option. And what the option's indicating is I've got the option of either doing another touch and go in case it's not quite right or coming to a full stop landing. If you're at a non-controlled aerodrome, then we might not say anything because usually when we give an indication that this is going to be a full stop, you stuff it up. Happens every time. So if we can just get you to land without you worrying about anything, then we might say, all right, let's come to a stop and then you know what's going to happen next. But you're on the ground so you can't really do anything too bad. So you're going to backtrack, taxi back to the beginning of the runway and the instructors then usually going to give you a quick brief and they usually would have already talked to you about this in the classroom at some point. It's just unknown as to exactly when this was going to happen. One of the first things I'll probably tell you is that they want you to just take your time, relax, take a breath, and just go through your pre-takeoff checks again. Make sure everything's in order. Again, depending on whether it's a controlled or non-controlled aerodrome, either way, make another taxi call and head to the holding point of the applicable runway. They're also going to tell you that you can expect to just do one circuit. So the first solo, it's usually enough of an experience as it is. So one circuit and that's all you're going to be doing. And you're going to also notice one major difference, and that is the climb performance of the aeroplane. When you've just got rid of anywhere between, you know, 60 to 100 odd kilos of weight in the right-hand seat, the aeroplane is going to feel different, especially if it's a two-seat aeroplane because it's going to be up to, you know, a quarter, a third of the aircraft's payload. If it's a 172 or something bigger, not as significant change because obviously there's a couple hundred kilos you could potentially have in the back seat as well. But certainly for two-seat aircraft, you will notice a difference. The aircraft is going to climb. Now, the reason we let you know this is A, just to be aware of it, but B, you've just got to be careful when you're following other aircraft in front of you. What you might do is reach your crosswind turning point sooner, start your turn, and if you've lost track of who's in front of you, you may well turn in front of them and cut them off. So just be really careful with that one. All right, so you're going to head off, take off to your first circuit, and you're either going to just be having the biggest smile on your face or the look of sheer terror. Either way, it will pass, I promise you. It will be an amazing experience and a fantastic time. So have a think about getting uh, yourself around the circuit, fly the standard pattern and make your downwind full stop radio call. Now, usually your instructor will have a handheld radio with them the control towers listing, and there's potentially even other instructors from your flying school in the circuit as well. So there's plenty of help around if you do get yourself into strife or you're a little bit unsure of anything. Remember, just ask and they'll be able to help you out. Come around and fly your first solo landing. 
you'll come to the aircraft, you'll find that the aeroplane will settle onto the ground a little bit different. It might have a bit more float, again, because it doesn't quite have the same weight to it. So allow the aircraft to settle, come to a stop, and just like always, nice and slowly, raise your toes up onto the brakes and gently squeeze the brakes to get the aircraft under control and come to a stop. Taxi back to the clubhouse or the flight school, and if it's a controlled aerodrome, usually the controllers will probably have a little surprise for you and congratulate you, and you'll get back to clubhouse with your instructor and anyone else around waiting with huge grins on their faces. All right, make no mistake that the first solo is a really exciting time for them as well. This is this is really where we both get to share in the hard work of the last few weeks, months, however long it's been to get to this point. And you've now achieved your first solo flight in an aeroplane. So congratulations. I remember mine. Um, as I said, no one ever forgets their first solo. I asked my wife today as well, and she totally remembers hers. Mine was uh, a little unfortunate. I actually misjudged the braking and coming up to the intersection, I kind of went off the taxiway and onto the the corner between 90 to 45 degrees from the runway and the taxiway. I uh, didn't really have a f- true sense of uh, how the brakes worked and possibly my instructor was helping me out as well to make the taxiway. Um, don't know what happened there. But anyway, hey, it happens. But we all move on and continue flying. So don't stress. Just go and have a fantastic time. What happens now? So next you'll find that we need to get about five hours of solo before we move on to either the RPL test or the next sort of phase of training. So what you're generally going to find is we'll come in, continue with some more circuits, do a couple of circuit sessions, two or three circuits in the session, and as long as you're still consistent and improving on your last time, we don't want to just keep sending you out doing the same thing, but as long as you're improving, we'll send you out for some more solo circuits. And we'll probably send you out for three or four this time. And the next time we'll build it up to maybe a full hour. And so you'll usually get two to three hours of solo circuit time, leaving a couple of hours for your next uh, big event, which is your training area solo, where we send you out to the training area for the first time by yourself. All right, things to just be aware of, um, depending on whether you're a integrated or non-integrated school, there are some requirements that you need to do a dual check within 30 days. So if it's been 30 days since your last dual check flight, which, hey, can happen, you might go away on holidays, come back for a lesson, cancels due weather, and then by the time you come back for your next solo session, a bit of time may have passed. So you may need to do another dual check for that just to be aware of it. All right, but otherwise... You'll keep going and move on back out to the training area ready for your next training or solo. So there you go. So that's it for this week's episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope that brought back some fond memories for some of you who have actually done your solo some time ago and also the trauma for me. Nah, just kidding. It's all good. Um. Love to hear feedback. I've had some awesome emails today. A couple of you sent me uh, photos and uh, achievements getting your instrument ratings, instructor ratings, and uh, private licenses. So I'm so glad that that helped uh, listening to some of the podcasts, helping you get through that journey. And thank you so much for sharing it with me. That's absolutely gold. Um, 
please remember, if you can, jump on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. Even if you don't listen to it, just leaving a review would be awesome. Log in, drop a review, get out of there, head back to Spotify or wherever you are. You can also leave me a review on Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast player of your choice and hit the alert button. Make sure you get the alerts every time I release new content. Um, Every Monday... And I'm aiming for every second Thursday as well for some extras that are starting to appear as well. You can email me on info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au and you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, there's also Patreon. You can jump on there. Heaps of exclusive content that I'm posting uh, only on Patreon. If you don't want to throw me some coin, hey, I understand, but you can still opt to just follow me on there and see some of it. Some is only for Patreon members, but you can see some other content on there that I'm not posting anywhere else. Next week, we have a really great episode for you. I am going to be talking to a former student of mine, Jared Moyle. Jared uh, started with me when he was 12 years old and is now flying in the airlines. He's flown in the Middle East with in Bahrain and Qatar and is now um, back here in Darwin flying. So I have a catch up with him and he has a fantastic story to share with you and some really great info as well. So until then, blue skies and remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>